Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 139, recorded on December 20th, 2019. I'm Chris. And I'm Char. Hello, Joe. It's finally here. I feel like I've been waiting all year for our annual predictions episode. So this week, we own up to our past predictions, see how we did, and then, of course, make some flawless predictions for 2020. I'm actually pretty confident about my predictions this year. Yeah, I'm feeling kind of good, too. I feel like I brought my A game to these predictions, although I I probably felt that way last year, if you think about it. <laughs> well, I certainly felt that way when I said that Microsoft would buy at least a significant percentage share in Canonical, which has not happened, although I did say at the time they're a private company, so it could happen and we wouldn't find out about it, but let's face it, we would have heard somehow. But yeah, that didn't happen. But the the reason that I said it at the time was because they were starting to cozy up. And like we talked about last week on the review of the year episode, they have become increasingly tightly entwined. You only have to look at the Windows subsystem for Linux stuff. Canonical have even hired Hayden Barnes, who is really invested in WSL that partnership seems to be getting tighter. And so I thought we were going to see it. I thought Microsoft were going to invest in Canonical and maybe even buy them outright and stop this IPO from happening. I saw a lot of others in the community echo a prediction like this or similar to this. There was just a, a sense in the room um, that this could be potentially happening. Maybe there were conversations, but it, it didn't pan out. So I think we have to say uh, good old negative on that one there, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately we do. I I would predict something about that again for this year, but uh, I didn't want to be boring, so I just did an unofficial one last week. I can't believe I lost my prediction. I already know I didn't. It didn't. It didn't pan out. But Apple, I predicted that Apple would launch a video streaming service that would not work on Linux. At the time of this prediction, it seemed like an Apple video streaming service was likely a lock. There had been no official announcements, but there had been rumors of Apple shopping around in Hollywood and doing hires and things like that. So I thought, okay, pretty good chance this is going to happen, but there's no way they'll launch it with a web service. And even if they did launch it with a web service, there's no way it would work under Linux. Well... (laughs) What I didn't consider was that I indeed would have to sign up to test this because I haven't seen anybody report this. (laughs) (laughs) And I figured you can't test it because I don't don't even know if it's available where you're at. So I signed up and I, I got logged in and on my laptop, it failed to stream. It never worked. And I thought, oh man. Just narrowly missed it because I hit play, the player comes up, but then nothing ever happens. In fact, the whole page just becomes unresponsive. And I thought, oof, just missed that one. And then I got got here to the studio and I thought, I better double check that on another computer. Fired up the same exact video from the Apple TV Plus website, hit play on my Linux desktop, and it started streaming immediately. (laughs) So you were wrong then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it does work on Linux. What are the chances? What are the chances of that? I mean, this is Apple we're talking about. Presumably that must have been Chrome, though. Uh, yeah, it was Vivaldi. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. It was Vivaldi on the other machine, too, though. Same versions. One was on Fedora, one was on Manjaro. 
Well, I don't think it was an unreasonable prediction because we knew that this service was coming. I don't think you can even deny that. It was obvious. But if you remember, it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't watch the Apple Keynotes even. If you tried to do it on Linux, it would just say, hey, you need a different browser. Right. And so I would be like, "Ah, I'm not watching that then. That was my logic right there. That was it. And there really has been no reporting about Apple Plus on Linux. And if you recall, even in Linux headlines, we had reporting on Disney Plus not working on Linux before the service even launched in the States. And then it later was adjusted. The DRM was notched down or up, however that system works. And now Linux playback with Disney Plus is possible. And that was also reported on. But in the meantime, nothing about Apple Plus. I figured that meant, oh, good, it's not working. It must not be working. Otherwise, people would be saying, hey, look at this, it works. But it was slow. The experience wasn't very good, but it did stream. I suppose it's probably a case of the kind of people who would want to get it working on Linux wouldn't shout about it because they might be a bit embarrassed about paying Apple, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that could be true. I don't know. I kind of like that morning show with that Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) Yeah, I hear good things about it, but I'm not signing up to Apple, so there's enough other content. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think think the way it worked out is I got it for free with a device, so I it was sort of perfect, but I think I had, I think the way I did it is I get it for a year and then in a year they're going to start digging me for the price if I forget to cancel it. Which you obviously will do. Of course I will. Your next prediction, pie in the sky. I would have loved to have seen this work out. Yeah, Steam Linux market share will crack 5%. It barely cracked 1%, so that was a massive fail. My reasoning was that the Epic store was going to take away enough of the Windows Steam market share to kind of by default raise the Linux market share as well as Proton and everything raising it a little bit and it was pie in the sky I was I said five percent to be a real dreamer I was thinking at least two or three though but to have remained stagnant at around about one percent is um it's not great although it depends which way you look at it, right? Because the, the overall number of Steam users has gone up massively, and therefore the, the Linux users have gone up, but just not proportionally with the other platforms. I guess I can see the logic. If you were thinking the Epic Store, amongst other things, would take users away from Steam, so the Windows user percentage would drop, and you combine Proton... I could see how that could have led to a boost, but it yeah, it just didn't quite materialize. And um, by all accounts, it remains to be a pretty small market share. A good one, though. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled, but uh, still pretty small. Yeah, I'm not going to make any predictions about that this year because I just don't think it's going to change much, really. Well, I think I have made a prediction there. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, okay, so my next one. Maybe you could give it to me on a technicality, but I, I think I, I think I overshot. Office as an Electron app comes to Linux, likely just as a beta or something available at Office 365 subs, but in a, in a limited way is what I was thinking. Well, I think that we have to call this a win because there's two ways you could possibly be half right and two halves make a whole, right? So the first one is that we saw Teams come to Linux as an Electron app. 
And that is part of Office. Right. In fact, it was introduced as the first Office 365 app coming to Linux by Microsoft. Yeah. So I think even just that would qualify as half point and probably a win. But Hayden Barnes, who I mentioned, he has made an unofficial web app Office Snap, which is just a web wrapper around Office 365. And isn't that what an Electron app essentially is? <laughs> <I> mean, kind <laughs> of. <laughs> so it's another half point, so two halves make a whole? <laughs> yeah, so I'm calling that a win, man. All right, I'll take it. I'll, I'll definitely take it. I think we'll probably see a lot more in 2020, but that's not an actual prediction, except for I think I just made it a prediction. We keep accidentally predicting things. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that means we should probably get into our 2020 predictions. Do you feel like going first? All right. So I think that in 2020, you'll be able to buy a RISC-V-based single board computer that's capable of running a full Linux desktop, even if it's just XFCE or something like that with Debian. And it will cost no more than the most expensive Raspberry Pi. Okay, so we're talking like a small board with some I.O. on it that sort of looks familiar as a Raspberry Pi, or is this a full product? Is this in a case? Oh, no, I think we're, we're talking something that looks very much like a Raspberry Pi that will probably have GPIO, and it'll have some sort of video out, whether that is HDMI or DisplayPort, something like that. It'll have USB ports, and you'll be able to run a full Linux desktop on it. I'm not saying that it's going to perform as well as a Raspberry Pi, but I think it'll be in around about that price range of whatever the most expensive Raspberry Pi is at the time, which is, this is kind of a double prediction that we may see a more expensive Raspberry Pi, possibly with eight gigs of RAM or something like that. But it's going to be in that price range, in that affordable price range. It'll probably perform much more like a Raspberry Pi Zero, and it'll be very expensive for the performance that you'll get out of it. Oh. But I think that you will be able to run a full Linux desktop on a RISC-V board. That was going to be my next question, is what you thought the performance would be like. I, I could see this. This is a little pie in the sky, but it's pie in the sky in a, in a Joe way that I like. You've been, <laughs> you've been rooting for something like this for a long time, so it would be nice to see this really kind of come to fruition. And you're setting expectations pretty low with the Raspberry Pi Zero performance benchmark. So, I, I mean, this really would be the next step to get application development for the RISC-V chip into gear. I think they should do this. Somebody should. Well, I think there's definitely a market for it. I don't know how big that market is, but I know that all of us would buy one if it was only the price of a Raspberry Pi 4. Yeah, I to totally, just to check it out. Plus, you know, future versions are going to get faster. Yeah, exactly. I also have a bit of a soft spot for risk. All right, well, that's a good one. So uh, we shall see. Do you have a guess towards the end of 2020? Am I going to have this thing in the summer in my hands, or what do you think? I'm thinking it's going to be cold by the time you get this. All right. All right. Well, you know what? Give me something to do in the uh, crappy weather. All right. Well, uh, your old barber, Richard Stallman, is going to reemerge on the talk scene in 2020. He'll be in the talk circuit, not necessarily affiliated with any particular group. Now he's more like a mercenary for free software, going anywhere that will have him and speaking the good word of our freedoms. I don't think this is hugely unreasonable or unlikely because... He was doing a lot of traveling and talking before as part of his role at the FSF. And you kind of start to miss that, I would imagine, after a while. So you'll want to get back out there. 
And I know there's plenty of places that still would hear him talk. I mean, there are some that would be not interested at all. And there may be a bit of controversy if he goes anywhere. But I think people will book him. So, yeah, I think this is pretty likely. Yeah, that's really the unknown is are there places, talks, events, whatever, gatherings that are willing to A, pay whatever it would be to get him out there and B, take the political risk of it? I wager yes. The reason why I put this down here is I don't think we've had a complete conversation around Richard Stallman and what happens next. I mean, maybe we just expect him all to retire and uh, just quietly go away, but I don't see a man who's been living his entire life preaching one thing just all of a sudden stopping. It seems like he might wait for things to cool down and then for friendly invites to come his way. That's my prediction. Sometime in 2020, we'll see him reemerge on the talk scene. I think we may well see him get booked and then subsequently no platformed at some places. And I think that we might well see some controversy about that and it'll just reignite the whole thing. So, yeah, I think it would be better if he did just retire. But you're right, he's not going to. Now, we teased an AWS prediction last episode. So what do you got for us? Okay, by this time next year, there'll be a license that solves the AWS problem while still being open source. Now, if I knew the details of this, then I would be a much cleverer person. But I have faith that there is someone out there in the open source community that will find a solution to this problem. There will be a way to craft a license that is still open source and still meets the definition, but somehow stops the likes of Amazon and the other cloud providers from taking open source software and commercializing it and making money from it. I have no idea how that is possible, but it must be. And there must be someone in this community who's got the brains to do it. So you think it'll come from the community? Yes. I've been wondering if it won't come from AWS as a bit of a reaction to the backlash. They'll sit down and go, bam, you know, we've got time and money. What we ought to do here is come up with a statement of how we contribute back. And we have a commitment of contribution to any projects that we utilize in the AWS infrastructure that we monetize. We have a commitment, like a a code of giving back that we commit ourselves to for these projects. And maybe it's financially, maybe it's code, whatever it is. I think that solves it too, but it only solves it for one provider, I suppose, where something that's a license from within the community would solve it potentially across all cloud providers. It could do. Maybe one solution would be for AWS to add an option, like an optional fraction of a cent per hour or whatever, if you're using certain software and then leave it up to the customers. Do they want to contribute? Or just set aside a tiny percentage per hour that gets used and then just funnel that to the the various open source projects. Hmm. The more we talk about this, Joe, the less likely it sounds. That sounds like you're adding additional cost to run cloud infrastructure and uh, cutting costs is the name of the game there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This is a tricky problem, and it's one that we've really seen up close and personal in 2019. I'm going to be watching to see if somebody solves this. I hope you're right. I hope we see a license that solves the quote-unquote AWS problem. And if it does, that's how they'll be talking about it, too. I don't have any clue how, though. It seems like an unstoppable force meets an immovable object to me. Mm-hmm. It's fi- fire meets fuel. Yeah, there's just there has to be a solution to this. Okay, you ready for mine? Now, this one, it's sort of like 
my Apple TV prediction. There's rumors bubbling, but we don't have any commitments. We don't have any clarifications. But I'm getting the sense that NVIDIA in 2020, via various types of support, be it code, documentation, developer time, etc., enables the Nauvoo driver to be fully functional for the majority of use cases, with a few exceptions. I'm afraid I've never heard of that driver. Do you mean that Nouveau driver? No, yeah, you know, the Nouveau. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, you finally got it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think this could happen. I think they could look at what's happening with the AMD driver, and they could say, for the workstation case and for the gamer types, we're going to make this work. Now, if you're going to do some sort of fancy XYZ workstation card or do some sort of high-end thing, you're going to need our special drivers still. But for basic just install a vanilla distro and the NVIDIA support is baked into the kernel and you can launch a game and you can play a Vulkan game, I think that's going to work in 2020. It might not be shipping in distros. You know, I don't know how far the code will be, but I think that's where we're going in 2020. So you're talking about proper 3D acceleration and stuff, not just standard 2D stuff, which is there already. On my desktop, that's kind of my media machine, that's got a really, really low-end NVIDIA card in it, and that works perfectly without the binary driver. But I don't play any games on it, so you're saying that you will actually be able to play games here. Yeah, at least Vulcan games. Yeah, I think it's going to work just like with my AMD 580 I have upstairs. Just put that sucker in the old PCI slot, boot her up, the driver's baked right in. I launched Steam, start a game, and I never had to install a single binary, never had to do a dang thing. That'll be the experience, ultimately, with where NVIDIA is going. Don't know if we're going to get to that point in 2020, but all of the groundwork, the code, the effort, all of that will start. Perhaps Arch users or people that are on the edge and can, can maybe even build it and take advantage of it. But what about the machine learning stuff? You don't think that's going to be included? I don't know. I think there will be limits. I think there will be limits. Not sure where that line's at, mostly because I don't totally appreciate uh, the difference between all the functional differences between NVIDIA's ridiculously expensive enterprise cards and their consumer grade cards. But I definitely think there could be a line there, for example. And what other exceptions are we talking about then? I'm not sure. And the reason is, is I would not be surprised if this isn't even fully shipping to end users by the end of 2020. Something like this could take a long time. It really sort of depends on the state of that Nouveau driver. Well, again, I think you're probably right. You've put enough caveats in this to uh, get away with pretty much anything, really, as long as you can play some sort of games with the Nouveau driver. Uh, what about frame rates, then? Are we talking comparable frame rates? Are we still talking that with the binary driver, it is going to be significantly better in terms of performance? Yeah, I'm thinking binary equal performance, yeah. I'm thinking it's it's right there. It's It's binary equivalent. It's like all the stuff you need for a consumer grade or even an enterprise workstation where you're where you need some where you need some 3D acceleration, but maybe you're not doing CUDA stuff or you're not doing machine learning stuff or you whatever those cards do. You know, the magic stuff where they open up a vortex inside the card and calculate things that only enterprise cards could calculate. Yeah. That won't work. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of spitballing on this one, Joe, but I'm just reading the tea leaves, and I'm thinking from a competitive standpoint, AMD is kicking their ass right now in the Linux workstation space. And NVIDIA, it, they're one of those companies that, that keeps an eye on what the competition is doing. But it's been such a good year for AMD. If you look at the Ryzen stuff, the Threadripper, and the Epic. Yeah. And, of course, with the graphics cards just working out of the box with the kernel. So maybe we will see NVIDIA start to think, hmm, 
We need a bit of that market. Yeah, I don't think they're feeling the heat like Intel is, but I bet they're feeling the heat a little bit. Well, I look forward to returning to these predictions next year, but not as much as I look forward to returning to Bitcoin prices, where we always get it wrong. (laughs) We have to do this. Sorry. We have to now. I know some people hate this, but it's necessary. It's like the vegetables of the predictions episode. So how did we do last year? Okay, so we always do this, the high for the year, the low for the year, and the price on December 1st, all in US dollars. So I said that the high for 2019 would be $6,000, and you said it would be $12,000. It was actually $13,000 in June. Mm, Did a little better than you expected there, Joe. In fact, it it did a little better than I expected. (laughs) Yeah, but by Price is Right rules, you still win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that $13,000 was in June. So that's uh, that's a little bit now. (laughs) So it peaked around summertime. (laughs) Let's talk about the lows. I predicted 900 and you predicted 300. So we thought it was really going to bottom out. But it actually only got down to 3,400, which is pretty low, but actually not too bad. Not as bad as we thought. You know, could have gone a lot worse, it looks like. Well, yeah, it could have got a lot worse. It was relatively stable, kind of hanging around at about 4,000-ish for the first few months and then creeping up to that 14 and then creeping back down to about 7,400 on the 1st of December, which you had said it would be 9,200 and I said it would be 2,000. So you're much closer, but Price is Right rules means that I win that one. I'm afraid. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I, I look at these numbers and I think $7,000, not quite what I expected. I mean, you seem to be satisfied with $7,000 as the year wraps up. I, on the other hand, not satisfied. I think if you look at Bitcoin, there's one factor that I always try to remember is at a certain point in the lifespan, which isn't that that far away, it stops minting new coins. And then there will only be a set amount of Bitcoins in circulation ever. And people are losing these things like crazy, throwing away hard drives, forgetting passwords, getting them stolen by Russian hackers, still stings. I try to factor that in a little bit into my prediction, keeping in mind that the longer Bitcoin stays alive, inherently the more valuable each coin becomes because there is a fixed amount. Well, it depends which way you look at it because more and more keep being created and therefore you'd expect the price to go down until we get to the point where that finite number have been created, there will be no more, and then you'd expect it to rise at least gradually. Yeah, although because people know, people know that's coming, they start to factor that into the cost ahead of time, I think. Um, it's it's not in our lifetime, but it is within a conceivable amount of time. It's it's something like uh, twenty one million or something like that, I, if I recall. Um, so when it's at seven thousand dollars, I'm like, oh, you know, okay, <laughs> you could do better. <laughs> but by some measures, some consider it one of the best investments of the decade. Yeah, if you'd invested just one dollar in Bitcoin at the beginning of the decade, it'd be worth around ninety thousand now. So if you put a couple thousand dollars in, I'm not even going to do that mass. It's too depressing. I know. It is way too depressing. It's way, way too depressing. Um, but it's one of the best performing 
investments of the decade. That's that's from CNN Business, which is wild. That it sounds like it's something that some crazy person on the internet saying, <laughs> but they're not the only one writing that either. So with that said, looking forward to 2020, expectations are kind of high. I think. I don't know. My expectations aren't that high. I I want to see stability because stability will ultimately mean a greater value. It'd be far better if it stabilized at a price and gradually, gradually, gradually ticked up and up and up. The fact that we see a graph that looks like a sine wave, it's not a good look. Now, that's kind of true. However, if you look at that graph on a much wider zoom, you'll notice that when it does crash down, it generally doesn't go below the the value before the rally started. So when Bitcoin goes through a rally and then there's an eventual correction and the price comes way down, when it finally settles, it settles at a price higher than when the rally begun. So when you look at it from that perspective and you consider that over a many, 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 many year perspective, overall it ends up higher. It's just in the meantime, it, come, it goes up and down quite a bit. But yeah, I, I know it, it, it still is all over the place, but... I, I, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good. People are going to be all jacked up about an election. Whenever the state of the U.S. government is comes into question, the price of Bitcoin always goes up. So I'm feeling good about 2020. Okay. <laughs> so what's your high prediction then for 2020? My max high for 2020 is a price that Bitcoin hasn't seen in two years. And that is $22,000. Well, it's never seen 22, has it? No. It got up to just about 20. Yeah. So you think it's going to have an all-time high this year? I do. Interesting. I was thinking about this while I was driving earlier because I, I still just couldn't make my mind up. And I thought, right, it's going to get to a high of 19. And then it's it's not going to keep going because people are going to get too nervous. They're going to think, is it going to get to... 20? Is it going to break that? And then it just won't. I think around about 19,000, and then it'll start to come back down again. 19,000. That's higher than I was expecting. I'd like it to not get that high. I'd like it to be more stable, but I don't think we're going to see that. I think that we will see a bit of a run on it. I'm not sure at what point in the year, possibly around the election. I don't know. It depends who ends up uh, being selected as the Democratic nomination. I think that could have a strong impact on it. So the 2020 low, I think, is the hardest thing to pin down for this prediction because I think we are about to see the low. When we go into January in the beginning of the year, I think we will be seeing the low point for Bitcoin in the year. So I didn't know what to say here because it's all over the place. It's staying somewhere in the $7,000 price range. This morning, before we recorded, it almost broke 6900 But as we record now, it's at 7100 So I have to factor in another disaster could happen. It's possible. And January is, <laughs> well, it's here. So you never know. I genuinely don't think it's going to go this low, but I want to give myself some some ceiling or some floor, I guess, in this case. So I'm going to say... Bitcoin's 2020 low will be $5,000. That's interesting because I think it's going to be 4000 Really? Yeah. I think it's not going to go any lower than that, but I think it will break through the five into the fours and then settle around about 4000 and then creep back up again. 
political news could cause market turmoil, which could cause the price to go up. Plus, there's more and more outlets right now doing these stories about Bitcoin being the best investment of the last decade. Mm. And that could also cause people to spend money. True. See, I think we're going into the low period right now, so it may not go lower than 7 in 2020. But I, I, I'm putting 5, you're putting 4 down? I'm going to say 4. All right, all right. It is worth mentioning at this point that we're recording on the 20th of December, even though we're talking about this year when you're listening to this. So (laughs) we may well be wrong already. I know. That's so actually likely to be the case. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Now, our price that we both think it will be on December 1st, 2020, this is like the, the, the health check. Does it come up from its lows? Does it stay low? Does it, does it remain at its peaks? Which I said it's going to be $22,000. I'm putting down for the price. On December 1st, 2020, Bitcoin will be around $14,000. I'm going to say almost half that, 7400 That's a very specific price because that's how much it was this year. I think that we're going to see stability in the long term. It'll go up, it'll go down, but eventually it'll find its way back to 7400 That would be like the first year, though, that there wasn't a pretty significant value increase. So you're kind of taking a risk with that one. Uh, yes, I'm taking a risk because it's what I want to happen, I think. <laughs> because it, how can you possibly predict Bitcoin? You've just got to do what you, th- you've either got to be crazy with it or say what you actually want to happen. That's true. Yeah, fair I mean, I'd love it to be worth a million because then I'd be rich with my tiny amount that I've got less than one. But um, it's not going to happen that, is it? Watch us be wrong and it will be worth a million. You never know, I suppose. Something could happen. I, I Wouldn't it just take some nation or some massive institution saying we're switching to Bitcoin as our backing and then takes off like crazy. They'd be a pretty foolish nation doing that. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. And the thing is with uh, cryptocurrencies is if you're going to do something like that, you just make your own. Yeah, true. You could see potentially like a huge crash in the dollar or something, which seems very unlikely. And if the dollar is worth much less than it is now, then by default, Bitcoin will be worth more. But I think that's pie in the sky. Well, history has taught us that if there's one thing more volatile than the Linux open source community, it is the Bitcoin community. So it's going to be all over the place. The community's all over the place. There'll be all kinds of different crypto developments. So it's really tough to nail it down. But I, I feel like This time next year, Bitcoin will still be the king cryptocurrency. No, my couple hundred Dogecoin are going to be worth a fortune. (laughs) No, it's Libra. It's going to be Facebook's Libra. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's back to our regularly scheduled program, back to reporting on the news and everything that happens in the open source world. Check out linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Ressington. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. See you later.